First and foremost, you always want to be aggressively removing debt from your life, consumer debt, the kind of debt that is typically based on lifestyle or going over your income. Welcome to Getting Money Right. My name is David Thompson, and with you always is our co-host, Leo Sabo. So Leo, what is on the agenda for today? In this episode, we're going to talk about the seasons of life and common questions about these different seasons of life. So the first thing we want to talk about is what are the seasons of life? Uh, I think you can think of several. The first one, I would say, uh, as a young adult, is probably the time when you get out of college and start finding that special someone and you go from single to married. And there's a significant difference when you go from being single to being married because now you're combining your finances, you're taking another person's perspective on money. All of that begins to change in the way you're going to manage uh, going forward. And we are a proponent of joining your finances together, not keeping them separate. If you're married, be married in every sense of the word. And then the, another season is when you begin to have children. Uh, this is both when they begin to come into the world and also uh, when they start to leave your home. And after they leave your home, of course, there's the season of empty nesting uh, that may eventually lead to grandchildren and then retirement. And last, I would say, is probably the period of our life when we start looking at legacy. What are we going to leave for our children's children? And uh, what, what does that look like? What, how do we prepare for these different seasons? A common question that we many times get is, when should I focus on removing debt? Because part of better managing your finances is to get to a place where you're actually getting traction in every one of these seasons, right? You're improving your financial position as you get older. So David, why don't you answer that question? Yeah, so continue to think about this in the framework of the season of life that you're in, and we'll actually put some of these things to each of those various seasons that Leo brought up. So talking about removing debt, first and foremost, you always want to be aggressively removing debt from your life, consumer debt, the kind of debt that is typically based on lifestyle or going over your income, where you've expended your margin and now you're going above and beyond. And it's so important for you to begin to teach your children now to remove debt and to not have debt in their lives. You want to start to put these principles in their life so that they are saving, that they're giving, and that they're learning to manage what you're entrusting to them. So you're going to be the parent and you're going to be giving them potentially allowance or a commission or some earnings based on the things they're doing around the home. And you want to teach them some of the basics of what debt is and why it's important to avoid it. So it's important to find unique ways to remove debt if you find yourself in that situation. And when I say unique ways, uh, it's time to look for another job. It's time to have a garage sale. It's time to uh, potentially start a small side business where you are looking for ways to aggressively bring in extra income and remove that consumer spending and that borrowing that you may have done in the past. Uh, now, don't borrow from anything or borrow for anything that is uh, not appreciating in value. And there's a big difference between things that are appreciating and depreciating. And so as we dig into this, Leo, do you have some thoughts on this? Yeah, just one. As you go from single to adult, usually if you've gone to college and taken on some student loans, that seems to be kind of a normal thing today for young adults to come out of college with sometimes significant amount of debt. 
And I would say that one of the things that I've, that I've seen that's somewhat troubling is that many of these students, because they're not able to get a high-paying job right away, they put off paying the credit, uh, the student loans, and that sometimes can be very damaging later in life. If you continue to put it off or defer it for 10, 15 years, the last thing you want is to be paying your student loans while your kids are going to college, right? Um, let's... let's uh, Let's aggressively attack that as soon as possible, even if it's making smaller payments, but always consistently pay that down over time. Uh, and uh, again, the sooner you can do that, the better. But my recommendation is not to put it off and to start paying on it as soon as you exit college. This is one of my favorite things that you can do, not just with your own kids, but with friends, uh, neighbors, anybody that you have some influence over uh, as they're growing up is encouraging them to work their way through school or encouraging them to go to the local community college, uh, encouraging them to find something that suits their passions and dreams and goals, but something they can pay for as they go. I have spent so much time with uh, young folks, I guess today that'd be millennials, that are recently out of college and they they have twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars of debt, but they don't necessarily have a job that's paying in the fifty or sixty range. They have a job in the twenty-five, thirty thousand, maybe forty thousand. And so their income is as much as their debt. And the the way that they are experiencing the stress, not being able to move out, not being able to afford uh, the vehicle that they need to be driving or car repairs, it's it's absolutely um, just devastating. I've seen it over and over again. And the biggest reason is that nobody that they respected took the time to sit them down and lovingly walk them through the process of getting an education uh, without debt or with very minimal debt that could be paid back quickly. It, we're talking about seasons of life. It might make sense to work part-time and go to school part-time for a season, sacrifice the full amount of education that you would do and work, I said, part-time. Why not work 40 hours a week and go to school part-time? And then once you have money saved, flip that and go to school full-time and not just the 12 hours, but I'm thinking 18 hours and work part-time to continue to, to sustain that. So teach your kids, uh, teach the people that you have influence on. This is such a vital area. It will radically change their life. Now, as we talk about aggressively removing debt, this fits into every season of life, I believe. But before we get to completely removing debt, it's important to have a cushion. And I would call this an emergency fund. So Leo, how much do I need to have saved at different times in my life as an emergency fund? Yeah, that's a great question, David. Uh, I think you have to start with what Dave Ramsey calls step, baby step one, which is to have at least $1,000. Now, that seems to me at least that it's not enough. $1,000 is not a lot to get through a lot of emergencies, but start somewhere. It's a sad, sad statistic that today more than half of Americans do not have more than $1,000 saved, which I think it's like 57% have less than 1000 saved, and a high percentage, I think it's about 39%, have nothing saved, meaning they don't even have anything in their savings account at all. So it's important that you build a savings, an emergency savings account that is at least 1000 but then very quickly move it to at least a month's worth of income so that if anything happens, at least for a month, you can get through and pay all the required payments, your monthly bills, 
and not have to panic to, you know, take on a, a payday loan or something like that just to get by. I, I think the most important part that I would want to impart to our, our listeners is to build your savings to at least a month as soon as possible, and then eventually at least three months. And for business owners, I would say go a minimum of six months. Or if you're a person that's on commission, um, there's different seasons, so you're not going to make a consistent salary every month. Maybe you get a bonus every quarter, or every six months. And you don't want to run a negative balance for months until that bonus comes in and then just cover yourself. You want to get ahead of it. So build at least a six-month, maybe a year's worth of, of uh, emergency fund in place. Because when you make a transition from one job to another or from one business to another, you're going to need more time to make sure that you have the client that, that you need to build. And all of that needs to take some. It just requires more time. So start with a thousand, but quickly move to a month and eventually a minimum of three months, but as much as six months or a year, depending on whether you're a commission or salaried employee. And remember that this totally goes into whatever season of life you're in. So if you're young, you're not married, you're single, you don't have kids, you can afford to have a little bit lower emergency fund because that, that, I don't want to say you need to have any fear in your life, but that fear of being on the edge and knowing that you only have $1,000 between you and any life is going to motivate you to aggressively attack debt. And so earlier on in life, when you don't have as many people relying on you, you can have a little bit smaller emergency fund. But as soon as you've paid off that debt, that's when you want to begin to build it up further. Now, if you're in your late 20s, 30s, you've got a few young kids, even if you still have debt, that's where Leo and I are saying, go ahead and extend that initial emergency fund beyond the $1,000 to 5000 or 10000 or three months of income. At some point, you need to go back to aggressively paying debt. But having that cushion, depending on the season of life you're in, is massive. Now think when you're in your 40s, 50s. If you were over time to have grown that emergency fund into the six to 12 month range, imagine the flexibility that you would have if you ever wanted to build a business or if you ever wanted to step away from your current role and move across the country and look at another position at another company. There's so much flexibility and margin in your life by having that six to 12 months. Now, I'm not expecting someone in their 20s to have six to 12 months of emergency fund. But it's a seasons of life kind of thing. As you grow, as you develop, as your kids potentially leave home, or as you have a, a desire to build a business, that margin is going to dramatically change how much time you can invest into the business and the opportunity for it to succeed. So it's important to aggressively look at paying off debt while building this emergency fund. Yeah. And also, when you begin to look at long-term saving, because again, you move from being a single person with possibly some college student loan debt and then moving into being married and having children, and you don't want to put off saving for long-term, right? I mean, retirement is going to happen sooner than you think. All of us seem to be surprised when that time comes, and we shouldn't be. Uh, our work life is usually about 40 years, and we should think about compound interest and how that's going to work for us. So the sooner we start, the better. So build your emergency fund, but then as quickly as you can, get to a place where you can save about 15% of your income. Now, there are seasons when you might not be able to do 15. Maybe you can do 10. But the other seasons where you might not be able to do 15 is possibly when the kids are younger. You know, there's a lot of challenges with having kids. Maybe the, the wife wants to stay at home and raise the children, or you have childcare expenses that are pretty high. So it's acceptable mm -hmm. to have a little bit less going into retirement. But 
I think you should sacrifice in other areas before you make that choice. Always, always, always try to save as much as you can. And 15% is a good standard to keep across all these years. But again, if you're not able to do it while the kids are young and the wife stays at home, then as you get into your 40s and 50s and your kids start to get to that age where they move out, then maybe then you increase it. Maybe you do 20, 25% to try to catch up a little bit. But the idea is that you keep focus on it. That's really what's important is keep focus on the fact that saving is not going to happen unless you make it a priority and you need to do that every single season of your life. Yeah, I love that. And and being able to have one of the parents stay at home while the kids are young from age uh, from birth to five years old. It's so valuable. That's such a critical time in their life to bond with the child, to, to nurture the child, to help them grow. And so I've seen it happen on both sides. Uh, I've got a friend who um, his wife is the head of HR for a company. And so she goes to work every day and he stays at home and takes care of the kids. But he's able to bond and grow with them in this season. And they've sacrificed. He could go to work and he could have a bigger house and they could potentially save a little bit more. But they're able to have removed the debt and begin saving for long-term retirement while living on one income. But it, it takes sacrifice. Uh, statistics have shown in this area that it is typically better for the mother to stay at home with the child for bonding and nurturing at a young, young age. But if either parent can do it, honestly, there's such a benefit in that child's life and in that season of growth. I, I highly doubt that if maybe there is a three to five year period where you sacrificed a little bit in living and in investing to have one parent stay home with the children, I, I highly doubt you would give up that time in retirement for an extra $100,000 or $50,000 in the bank. It is important to start. We want you to start soon, and especially uh, when there might be the opportunity for an employer match. So, so that's a huge part of this. If you have an employer that's matching your investment right now, today, you need to go down to your HR department and fill out the paperwork right now. You need to send yourself an email. You need to put it on your calendar. You've got to write yourself a note. As soon as you get into the office, you've got to go down to the HR department and begin investing up to the match. Uh, where I currently work, if I put in 1%, the employer puts in 3%. How cool is that? Uh, if I put in $25 a month, the employer's putting in $75. So I have 100 bucks a month, but my part was only $25. Um, now, there's obviously uh, some vesting things that go into that. You have to be with the company for uh, a couple of years to have the full match. But they match it up front, and if you stay with the company, you get all of it whenever you leave. Um, and then at, at the company I'm at now, it's 4%. So if I put in 4%, they put in 4%. Now, the match stops there. And as we go into investing further in another episode, we'll talk about what do I do with these funds? What kind of funds do I look at? Stocks, bonds, mutual funds? Should I do just the match at my employer? Should I look into a 401k? Or you've got your 401k or your 403b. Should I look into an IRA? Where should I go next? So those are things that we will talk about. Tax advantage savings, Roths, traditional. Uh, but those are on another episode. So Leo, how much would you say that I should set aside for my kids' college? college expenses? That's a very good question because, you know, college and education is very important. Uh, I know for uh, my wife and I, when we first got on a budget, that was one of the, the things that we wanted to provide for because neither one of us had, you know, our parents didn't have the ability to send us to college. So I took a bunch of student loans to um, to go to school. And fortunately, I paid it off. I paid off my student loans within four years of graduation because I made it a priority. It was like, I'm not going to defer this. But once we once we got past that and we 
of course, got on, on a budget ourselves, the first thing we thought about is how can we start planning for this so that our children would have an opportunity that we did not have, which is to go to school, not worry about debt, not worry about the cost, but just go and get the best education that could get. And so we made it a priority. I remember we actually bought college savings bonds for our kids when they were like literally just born, which wasn't the best investment, honestly, but ultimately got got us moving in the right direction and made it a focus and we started putting money toward it. And you know, uh, the question that we had to ask ourselves is, do we want our kids to go to college? And yes, we did. But we also didn't know how brilliant were our kids going to be? Would they even want to go to college? And if they did, what kind of college education would they want? Is it a traditional four-year in-state, out-of-state? Is it a prestigious Ivy League school? We didn't know. So we looked at our income and decided, okay, we're going to put aside what we feel is going to be enough to send them to both to college to an in-state, your regular four-year university degree. And if they needed or wanted to go to something more prestigious than that, then we would have to look at those options as they were entering high school. Were they smart enough to possibly get a scholarship or whether it was academic or a board scholarship? The, the point was that we were preparing for what we knew we could afford, but then if they needed or wanted something more, then we would ask them to either pursue getting scholarships or pursue some type of work while they went to school. And that was our agreement. We went forward and and it worked out really well. Both our, our daughters went to college. They were fortunately both of them stayed within close by home and they commuted to school. And but they both got a college degree and we were able to pay cash for all of it. And and really it wasn't it wasn't really difficult. It was just something that we made a priority and it happens when you do it. Now the the cost of in state is going to be lower than out of state. Of course, tuition and fees and all that stuff is one part, but it's also the the room and board and everything that goes along with a college experience. So plan for all of that, but realize that tuition and the inflation that hits, especially in the area of tuition, is a lot higher than regular inflation, like for cost of living. So usually the inflation for college tuition doubles about every nine years. So the cost doubles every nine years. So that means if you have a child today, in 18 years, the cost of college will be about three times what it is today. So it's considerable. Uh, it's something you definitely have to plan for. But again, think about it from the perspective of not how do I give my child the best education, but also understand that you have to take into account whether the child will go to school, and what type of school. So consider all that, but plan the best you can and make sure that as you set the money aside that you put in a vehicle that's going to help you to have the flexibility to use it not just for one particular school or one particular state but that you have a little bit of flexibility whether it's a 529 plan or or different plans that are out there yeah this is a huge huge part of my story um i I did well in high school i had good grades i hung out in the advanced or the honors classes and so all my friends were going off to really cool schools in my mind Uh, now i say really cool they were still state schools it was the university of texas it was uh texas tech it was texas a and m i mean these were great state schools and my friends were excited to go off now i grew up in bedford texas which is right in between dallas and fort worth and so all those schools that i just mentioned are at least least four hours away. And I wanted to go too. I was like, I want to go to UT. I want to go to A&M. I want to go to Texas Tech. And that's what I was excited. Somewhere, anywhere in that range. 
And my parents basically sat me down and they said, well, we'll support you. Uh, we, we will lovingly send you, but we don't have any money for you. You know, you're, you're in charge. So, so you're going to have to drive out there. You're going to have to experience the school. You're going to have to come up with a $10,000 a year in tuition. And it's a state school. So it was only seven, eight, nine thousand $9,000 in tuition, but over four years, that's close to 40 grand. Uh, and then you add in $10,000 a year of living expenses because the room and board fees, uh, it was, it was staggering. It was to the point where I'm like, I'm looking at 40 to $80,000 of debt at a state school. And I was an intelligent kid, not quite intelligent enough to get the big scholarships or anything that was really weighty. And so I could have gone to these schools, but my parents over time were able to influence me to say, well, why don't you stay at home? And why don't you go to the local community college? And it was a major shift. I did not want to do it at the time, but then I went to the two-year school. I got my associate's degree super, super cheap. I was able to pay for it as I was going. I was working probably 30 hours a week while going to school. I was doing about 18 hours per semester, uh, up to 21. I don't think I ever did less than 18. I don't think I ever did more than 21 while I was at community college. But I was able to do it because community college, the classes are smaller. The teachers want you to succeed. They actually want you to go on to the next level. And so it was a great, great experience. From there, I was able to then get transfer scholarships to one of the well-known private universities in the area in Dallas. And that was a huge deal. That was a really big boon to my economic or my education and my long-term economic growth and go to business school. So it was, it was really beneficial to do the community college, but I wouldn't have done it if my parents hadn't been very firm, very clear that, hey, we don't have anything extra for you. Now, I did graduate with some student loans around 15000 uh, plus I had a car debt and I had uh, a surgery, and so I had about $20,000 that I owed when I got out of school. But this is where that sacrifice comes in. And I went and lived at home for a year and removed that debt from my life as quickly as possible. So we'll go more into those topics in, an, in another episode. But it's just so important that when you find yourself at the place of deciding in my season of life, I've got maybe let's put out a theory or an example. You've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And currently you're not saving anything for retirement or anything for their school. Where should you start? Well, I'm going to say start with your retirement because your kids are going to have so many options and you don't know for sure if they will go to college. Uh, I've got some great friends that have gone into other fields and other degrees based on just certifications or passions and learning from somebody in that industry and they didn't need a degree. And so they may or may not go to school. Uh, they have the option to work while they're in school. They have the option of scholarships. But if you get to retirement and your body begins to not function at the level it was before, and you're not able to work at the level you were able to before, and you don't have the money set aside, well, now you're going to be a huge burden back on those same kids that you wanted to bless with some college finances. So I'm going to say, put your retirement first. And once you begin to get to that 10 to 15%, then begin doing something for the kids. And I love what you did, Leo, with the savings bond. You didn't know exactly where to start, but you started and you started with something that was going to gain interest. It was going to gain ground. So what a cool story. Yeah. So again, I think the the major uh, takeaway here is to just, I think the thing that, that strug I struggle with when I'm counseling someone in this area, parents that want to provide a good education for their children is that sometimes they take on the debt and signing for the loans and all that stuff when they really 
shouldn't do that, especially as they're later in life and they're looking to retirement. They're not properly funded for their retirement. So again, depending on where you are, just think of it from the perspective that your child has the opportunities. Um, They can work hard. They can do what David did. They can go to junior college and they can get an education and they don't have to spend a ton of money to do it. So if you've not been able to set money aside for it, then don't take on responsibilities that you cannot fulfill without damaging your own future. So just use wisdom. Now, let's switch gears, David, and let's look at something that I think every couple and probably every young adult that is getting into the adult life wants, which is their own place. So when is it time to buy a house? What a great question. And I remember struggling with this immensely uh, when I was just about to get married. Uh, It was about six months before I was getting married. And I uh, remember walking with my dad just along the road um, around the block of our house and just saying, Dad, you know, I could probably go out and purchase a home uh, and have about the same payment in rent on my mortgage payment, or I could go and rent. What do you think I should do? And it was a really interesting conversation. And I don't know that we came to any uh, dynamic conclusions from that walk. But over time, what I've begun to realize is that a house isn't for everyone. And the what I did and what we ended up doing was renting for the first two and a half years of our married life, because when you are renting, you have so much flexibility. You don't have to worry about maintenance. You can set up a one-year lease. And if you end up deciding to move across the country for another job, if you end up moving just across the city, where we live in the DFW Metroplex, if you live in Dallas, it's going to be pretty difficult to commute to Fort Worth for a job. And so if you're renting in Dallas and then you lose your job in Dallas and decide to pick something up in Fort Worth, it's very beneficial to be able to just move over to Fort Worth and have a lot shorter commute. And so realize that uh, when you're first starting out, renting is a great, great choice. Uh, Over time, unless you're going to own a home for more than five years, it's going to be just about a break even. Because with the buy and sell costs of a home, the um, the fixed costs that go into that, the repair costs, the maintenance, uh, just taking care of the lawn, all the unique tools you're going to need to purchase, all of these things that go into owning a home, the things you don't think about are going to just about equal what it would cost to rent. But with the rent, you have flexibility, you are more nimble, and it can be a very comfortable living to determine how close do we need to live to our family? How close should we be to our work, to um, anywhere where we might spend a lot of time? So I love the idea of renting early on and even all throughout your life. It may make sense to continue renting. The downside is, is that rents are going to continue to go up. Uh, the, the upside of owning a home is that your mortgage is pretty much fixed. I mean, if you buy a fixed mortgage and the interest rate is not set to change, Uh, then it's not going to change. And that's great. Uh, You are going to have property taxes that are going to go up. You are going to have repairs that come. And so I would say, I think Leo kicked off this question, when should I buy a house? The most important thing is I would say, do not purchase a home until you have that three to six month emergency fund. And I would say be out of debt, out of consumer debt, pay off your car, pay off all your credit cards, pay off any student loans you have. 
because that gives you the margin and flexibility that if the HVAC goes down, uh, if the fence gets knocked over by a windstorm and now you have a huge deductible on your insurance to pay, if your refrigerator and your stove go out, you have money set aside and you're not going further into debt to fund a home that's causing you to sacrifice in other areas of your life. So I would say be conservative and wait. Wait till you have that emergency fund. That's what Ashley and I did. Uh, A funny thing about us is we saved up a 20% down payment and then we didn't set aside the money for closing costs. I don't know where, I don't know. I don't know why it was our first home purchase and we didn't think about it. But what we did have was a $5,000 fund for our um, sofas and decorations and to decorate the home when we moved in because we were in a one bedroom apartment up till then. And so we had $5,000 set aside for home decorations that went directly into closing costs. And so for about the first year of living in our home, we had about a one bedroom apartment worth of stuff <laughs> because we learned the hard way. Don't forget closing costs, which are typically going to be four to $5,000. So it's just, it's intriguing to think about these unique, um, scenarios that could come up. And I don't ever want you to feel, I want you to feel content. I want you to be content no matter where you're living, whether you're living with a family member and you're able to save a little bit extra and you're able to work on your education, whether you're living in an apartment, uh, wherever you're at, I want you to be content and out of that contentment grow. Leo, any thoughts on housing? Yeah, I think you've covered it, David. I think the most important thing is to not feel the pressure that you have to have a home. Uh, like you said, it takes about five years to even break even after you purchase a home. Now, I think home ownership is a wonderful thing, and especially if you have a, a larger, you know, a desire to have a larger family, that you're going to want to have a home. But it's not for everybody, and it's uh, not necessarily cheaper to own a home than it is to rent. I think a lot of people think, well, you know, it's the same price. Well, no, not really, because a home comes not only with additional utilities and, you know, you're heating and cooling a bigger place. There's taxes. There's a lot more expense to owning a home, not to mention the maintenance. So just keep that in mind. I think for young couples, it's better to wait. Um, My wife and I waited four years before we bought our first home. And most of the time when you buy a house at that age, it's going to be a fixer upper because you can't buy anything very expensive or new. So you're going to run into things that uh, may challenge your, your budget. So it's important to, to do it that way. Now, I think the probably the last question that we can take for this uh, particular episode is, what order do I do all these things in? I mean, we answered a bunch of questions. There's a lot more that we could answer. But what's the order that we look at as we try to prepare for all these different seasons of life? Yeah. So the important thing here is that, Leo, there really is no one size fits all. Uh, If you look at your life and my life, we have both managed well through different seasons, but our lives look entirely different. And so there are going to be people who are are gifted in the area of repairs and great at maintenance and great at restoring things. And it may make sense to go into a home much earlier than my wife and I did. There are people that are going to focus eight years on their academic career instead of four years. Uh, There are people that are not going to go to a higher education school, but they're going to be educated in different ways. So your situation is different. Uh, It doesn't matter where you're coming from. We want you to be unique to you. And we're going to answer some specific audience questions in the future. There are some things that every plan should include. And that's first and foremost, just to have a budget, what we would call cash flow planning, and put 
a yearly budget together, but managed monthly, something that meets the needs. Uh, every month, you know where the money is coming in and then exactly how it's going to go out. Then you're going to build the emergency fund to protect your budget. So first start with the budget, then build that emergency fund so that you can protect that budget. You've got the margin. Leo, do you want to land us with these last two? I think the, the next thing is to have proper insurance uh, for protection. I mean, you need to have life, health, and disability insurance. No plan is complete unless you kind of close every door, so to speak. And I think too many people are, are trying to do all these things and thinking, well, you know, I can put off the disability or the health or the life insurance because I'm young and I don't need that. Well, here's the thing. You can do everything right and miss this one thing, and it could just crash and you can have a serious, serious problem on your hands. So just remember, if you're, especially if you're not by yourself, if you have a spouse and you have children, you need to have life insurance that's at least 10 times your annual salary. If you would pass away, you need to try to leave your family as well off as you can so that they can survive for the next few years, get some stability. Maybe your spouse will have to go and go back to work if the children are young and you don't want her to do that or him to do that when the, the kids are two, three years old. You want to give them that time until the kids are old enough to go to school and then that person can re-enter the workforce. So you want to give some time. And the last thing is to prepare for the future. Every season requires some type of savings. Always keep your emergency fund in place. Make sure that you're inching up and growing that retirement saving, college savings. So uh, as long as you keep those four things, cash flow, emergency fund, proper insurance, and then long-term savings in place, you'll be in good shape. That's awesome. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes so that more people will be able to find us. You can also subscribe to our podcast. It's right there. It's a big button. It says subscribe. Very easy. And don't forget to share this. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Instagram. We're asking you to get the word out and begin to share this with your friends and family. We look forward to having you join us next time so that, Leo, together we can keep keep getting getting money money right. So we made it a priority. I remember we actually bought college savings bonds for our kids when they were like literally just born, which wasn't the best investment, honestly, but ultimately it got us moving in the right direction and made it a focus and we started putting money toward it. 